Hello, Maranatha. It's good to be with you again today during this Advent season. I'm at home. I'm right next to the Christmas tree as we prepare as a family also for the celebration of Christmas and we think about this Advent season. Of course, you may know that Advent just means coming. And the, the season of Advent is a, a celebration of the first coming of Jesus as a baby God came to earth as a human. We call that the incarnation. And he lived a perfect example for us. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God for us. And he died as a sacrifice for us. But then we look forward to a second coming of Jesus. The, the second coming in which Jesus will make everything right. In the first coming of Jesus, he comes as a little baby. In the second coming, there's a fulfillment, a culmination, where Jesus will make everything right. We live now in between those two events, between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And we think now, during this Advent season, about the significance of those two events. And we think about how we can prepare ourselves spiritually for the celebration of Christmas, for the coming of Jesus. I want to do that for you today to think about some of these great themes of Advent, today looking at the theme of peace, and make some applications for how we can think about the political situations in the world through this lens of peace as we see it in the Bible, but also how it can impact our own personal relationships. If you want to join with me first in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, maybe you're familiar with this chapter as a classic Christmas passage in Luke 2. Luke gives us an account of the birth of Jesus. And the way that Luke describes the birth of Jesus is in cosmic terms. Luke thinks of the, the coming of Jesus as something significant for the whole universe. In fact, all of history has been arranged for this moment. All of the universe, even the stars, are participating in the preparation for the arrival of Jesus and the heavens. Here, the angels, in verse 13, appearing as a great company. Luke writes in Luke 2, 13, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. There's some theological concepts in that verse, and Luke is assuming that the reader understands a little bit about the kingdom of God theology that we see uh, so prominently in the Gospels. There was this idea already by the time that Luke is writing of the kingdom of God as the realm in which God's will is done perfectly. God's will is uncontested in the will of, in the kingdom of God, and everything he wants happens just in the way that he wants it. But that's different from this world, in which the will of God is contested by the forces of evil. Our own sinfulness has made a separation between the kingdom of God and this world. So we, we join in praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we know that God will one day bring his kingdom fully 
to the earth. In fact, we see that promise throughout the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus invites us to pray that way. We look forward to that day. And in the meantime, we participate in its coming. We participate in the coming of the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there is an idea in this kingdom of God theology as it develops that the truest version of reality is the version in heaven. And everything on earth is just a pale reflection of the truer version in heaven. So there's a temple on earth, but it's just a pale reflection of the true version of the temple in heaven. We have fathers here on earth, but our fathers are just a pale reflection of the true father in heaven. And so we see that heaven and earth theme here in this pronouncement of the angels. Glory to God in the highest heaven. How should the heavens express what's happening as Jesus is being born? Glory to God in the highest heaven. And how should that be reflected on earth and on earth peace? To those on whom his favor rests. Peace is the way that this event is reflected on earth. What's happening in heaven is being reflected on earth. Jesus is born and it expresses itself in this proclamation of peace. And it says peace to those on whom his favor rests. Who is that? On whom does God's favor rest? Rest Well, certainly in this um, situation, in, in its immediate context, it's on this little family and Mary and Joseph and Jesus, but also th those who are willing to recognize Jesus, willing to come to his side to worship him, the, the shepherds and the wise men and um, you and I, to the degree that we are willing. And in fact, this is the message of Luke, is that the, the kingdom of God is being opened up to all of the nations so that his favor will rest on any who will come to him. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's worth thinking about that concept of peace, what is meant by that. And maybe you're familiar with the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. And maybe you know that the word shalom doesn't just refer to an absence of violent conflict, although it includes that. And there's a lot of expressions of that uh, as part of the concept of shalom in the Old and New Testament. But shalom means something deeper than that, something broader, more encompassing. Shalom refers to a holistic well-being. It refers to ultimate justice and a state of uh, the way things should be. Shalom refers to a kind of all-encompassing well-being, a, a flourishing. And that's what we are moving toward. That's what God's kingdom is ultimately bringing. The kingdom is coming, and he is bringing shalom, justice, flourishing, peace, the way things should be. So when Jesus preaches uh, about the kingdom, he includes a message of shalom, of peace. Let's take a look at, at 
And, and an example of that, in Jesus' most famous sermon, in Matthew chapter 5, there is the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of five sermons in the book of Matthew. It's the first of five sermons in the book of Matthew. Matthew organizes his whole book around these five great sermons, or sometimes called discourses. The first one, the Sermon on the Mount, begins with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are expressions, not, not all of them expressions of, of ide ideals to aspire to, but rather they're a lens for revealing God's priorities for the kingdom. So it begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. How is it that the poor in spirit are blessed? They're blessed because they're in the kingdom. And that even though you don't expect that poor in spirit, the downtrodden, the downcast, should be blessed, in God's kingdom they are blessed. And then there's other Beatitudes, like the one expressed in verse 9, that does give us a kind of ideal to aspire to. And verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's quite similar to that Luke 2, 13 and 14 passage, because here, Jesus is teaching that if you are a child of God, you will be making peace because that's what the Father is doing. We are children of our Father to the degree that we are like him. And how is, what is the Father like? The Father is the ultimate peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. To the degree that you are a peacemaker, you are like the Father. And so you are a child of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is how God's children ought to reflect the character and nature of God in this world. We reflect God's character by being peacemakers, because that's what God is like. When we think about peace, then, we're thinking about a robust concept, about a broad and a deep idea, about an idea that impacts us, an idea that requires something from us. Shalom, or the idea of peace, it does include the absence of conflict, even though it's not limited to that. But that can be a good place to start. Can you be the kind of person who genuinely wants conflict in the world to end? And can you be the kind of person who will participate in the resolution of those conflicts? Think about the, the conflicts in the world today, just this evening in fact. I spent my evening at the house of a, a church family. There's a woman who's been coming to church. She's a member of our church and her husband is a Palestinian Muslim man and uh, his parents were visiting uh, last month, the last couple of months, uh, they arrived just a couple of months ago, they were here to visit their son and daughter-in-law and their new grandbabies who were just born four months ago. And while they were here, a war broke out in Israel and Palestine, and they have been displaced, stuck here. They've got other children, three other children, and 
uh, five other grandchildren in Gaza where their home is. They are unable to return to their home. So we went to their house because he was especially interested in talking about Jesus. He invited me over to their house to talk about the Bible, to talk about Jesus. He's a Muslim man with an interest in Jesus and wanted to talk about it. So uh, my wife and I went to visit them and uh, had some tea and some sweets and talked about Jesus. And of course, the situation in Israel and Palestine came up. And it's a complex situation. And how to be with somebody whose neighbors are being bombed and whose um, friends and family, whose own grandchildren are now genuinely at risk um, in Gaza, where they have lived their whole life. I want shalom, peace for Gaza. And that can be our prayer, that we should genuinely want peace. It seems like such a big request. And it's something that I have been praying about for, well, at least 23 years. It was in 2000 when I was just a newly graduated Biola employee. I was uh, graduated from Biola University in 2000 and I took a job as the assistant director of student ministries. And that year, there was a new outbreak of violence in Jerusalem, in Israel, called the Second Intifada. And during that outbreak of violence, there had been attempts to bring together um, Jews and Muslims, Israelis and Palestinians in Los Angeles, where I was living, by media outlets and organizations and had been unsuccessful. But me and my little staff at Biola, we decided we wanted to see if we could make this happen. So we started to put together a panel and a conference, and we did. It was called, Will There Be Peace in Jerusalem? And we put together a panel of seven people, including conservative Muslims and conservative Jews, quite nationalistic perspectives and a bit more moderate perspectives, and some Christians on the panel as well, and had a, a wonderful event. It was widely covered in the media. Newspapers and radio and television outlets were there. It was the next day. In an interview with National Public Radio, NPR, which is an American radio outlet, and they were doing an interview with me as the organizer of the event and taking call-ins from guests who had been at the event. A woman called in, Palestinian woman. She said, I've been living here in Los Angeles for years, and it was last night at this event, for the first time, I felt understood as a Palestinian woman. I felt like my perspective was heard and appreciated. And she said, isn't it interesting that it was the Christians who organized this event? And that, hearing that, that Jesus was receiving the credit for bringing together Muslims and Jews, Israelis and Palestinians to talk and to be heard, to be understood. It confirmed to me the value of being a peacemaker, of working toward reconciliation, participating to the degree that we can in bringing people together. My own son, just last week, he, he's 17, his name is Jonah. Um, I think Barry and Linnea are probably the only people hearing this who know Jonah, and he was just little when they, when they met him. But he's, um, he's organized a, a conference called the ICYDC, the Intercommunal 
Youth Diplomacy Conference here in Cyprus. And it just happened last week. There were 175 participants in this, conf in this conference. Um, youth from the north and the south of Cyprus met in the UN-supervised green zone, the buffer zone in between the two sides of the island to talk, to have a, di a diplomacy conference. It was very well organized with topics and events and it was sponsored by the UN and by various embassies who helped to fund it and make it happen. But Jonah, with two of his Cypriot friends, were the organizers, the creators of this conference. And it's the second year that it's uh, that it's been going on. And a, a beautiful event, 175 people getting together in that buffer zone, coming together to meet, to talk, to work on peace, to pursue peace. And at least from Jonah's perspective, there's a a Jesus motivation in doing that. That's, for me, an example of what we can be wanting for the nations. I've found it hard when some of the Christians around me justify the killing of civilians in Israel in the name of un- questioned support for the politics of modern Israel. It's okay to kill Palestinian civilians because we're supporting Israel. It's true that God does not want Israeli children to be killed by bombs or bullets, but he also does not want Palestinian children to be killed by bombs or bullets. And we ought to stand up for justice. We ought to confront injustice. That ought to be part of our our spiritual practice to want peace, not just in a passive way, thinking, well, you know, wouldn't it be nice? Of course, there's a, a sense in which everybody wants peace. If you asked anybody in the world, don't you want peace? Just about everybody would say that they want peace. And yet the world, full of people who want peace, is also riddled with conflict, often violent conflict. There's a kind of wanting, a degree of wanting, a depth of wanting which makes a difference. And it's, I think, the kind of wanting that the Spirit can empower in us to genuinely want peace. To exercise your will in the direction of peace. Can you do that for the situation in Israel, Palestine, in Gaza? Can you want peace? Can you want peace for Cyprus where I live? To genuinely want it to exercise your will in that direction, to want there to be peace between the north and the south on this island. Jesus provides for ultimate peace in the nations, and it is coming. He will bring it. In the meantime, we have an opportunity to want it, to participate in it, to pursue it. But Jesus also provides for peace among us in our interpersonal relationships. That's part of the shalom that Jesus is bringing, that the angels are proclaiming. There is perfect justice coming. There is perfect shalom coming. There is perfect reconciliation the reconciliation between heaven and earth, it is on its way. And you can participate in it now. Jesus has provided for the reconciliation that can happen between us 
in our conflicts and our tensions. He gives us the opportunity to be ministers of reconciliation, to be those who want peace. Paul describes it this way in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And maybe for you, as soon as you hear that verse, maybe you feel uncomfortable. You feel maybe like I'm calling you out. And it's because I am calling you out. Want peace. Want reconciliation. So often the first thing that comes to mind when we hear those kinds of verses is, well, but what if the person has done this to me? Or what about that situation? I recognize that peace is always complicated. I have lived it. I am now living it. It is complicated. But I must want it. I don't want to address the potential exceptions or objections to wanting peace. I want instead to just encourage you to turn your heart toward that, to want peace. Where are the broken relationships in your life? Where are the tensions? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. May it be reflected in our relationships. What good is it if you campaign for peace in Gaza, but you can't bring yourself to want reconciliation with the people around you? I want to encourage you to want peace. Shalom. Ultimate wholeness. Justice. Flourishing. The reconciling of heaven and earth. To want it in your soul and to move toward it. In your actions and in the opportunities you have to express an opinion or to participate in the reconciliation in world political events and also in your personal relationships, to want peace. It's that inside-out strategy that Jesus is inviting us into. That's what the kingdom is like. It's an inside-out strategy that he employs. The kingdom is coming in me to the degree that I am becoming more like Jesus. The kingdom is coming in me to the degree that I am becoming a peacemaker like my Father. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. I think that is how we prepare the way of the Lord during this Advent season. Merry Christmas.